Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 51 of the Fierce Calling Podcast, the first episode of 2021. I'm your host, Doris Swift. I'm talking with women who are taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. They are using their God-given gifts to impact the world for Christ, and I hope this podcast inspires, encourages, and challenges other women to take action and use their gifts to impact the world. What is God calling you to do in this season, friend? In today's episode, A Journey from Atheism to Savoring Gospel Spice, I'm talking with my friend Stephanie Roussel. And what better way to start off this new year than to hear how God captured the heart of a French atheist teen who thought her reason for coming to the U.S. was to learn English. But God had other plans for Stephanie. From atheism to Christianity, Stephanie shares her journey of discovering the many layers of spice the gospel offers and how her gospel spice ministries is helping others taste and see that the Lord is good. I know what Stephanie has to say will encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Stephanie Roussel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today I have my friend Stephanie Roussel and she has an amazing testimony and I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say today. She is the founder of Gospel Spice Ministries, which already I know that's piqued your interest. And she's a wife, a mom, a podcaster, as we said, to Gospel Spice Podcast. She is a public speaker, a Bible teacher. She's 100% French, which is so cool. And she was born and raised in France. And she lived for her one over the last two years, her one being Jesus, the one and only, on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles, which is awesome. Her current Gospel Spice Ministries team is made up of seven women, so that's amazing. And she thrives on Bible-centered inspirational writing and speaking and dark chocolate. So we are going to hear about how she is reaching thousands of people in France, the UK, Africa, and the US, and even more on all six continents to the Gospel Spice podcast. So welcome to the show, Stephanie. So great to have you. Thanks, Doris. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So Stephanie, I want to ask you how you are taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect, because we'd love to hear all about how you began. Oh, I love this question. This is, has got to be one of the most insightful and intriguing questions that I've ever heard asked. So I love that you ask this of your guests. Well, you know, I guess, you know, every one of your guests has their own story and how it all started. But for me, because I came to faith as a young adult and I didn't grow up in the church, I was an atheist. I really just fell in love with Christ and that first love has never left me uh, by God's grace, truly by his grace. And he has given me this passion to come alongside others to help them fall in love with Jesus more. I don't think I'm what people would say, would call an evangelist. I don't necessarily bring people to faith as much as I come alongside those who like me are believers, but seek to go deeper. And so it's a team effort. You know, I don't pretend to have it all together or to know any more than anyone, but together we enter into this journey where we grow 
our intimacy with him. We learn from each other and we just delight in the glory of God, which is my motto. I think if we together can learn to find our delight and our ultimate pleasure in worshiping him, in making him the center of our lives, in making him the desire of our heart, we are then echoing the purpose that he has created us to be. And Honestly, Doris, it does not get better than that, does it? No, I love how you were explaining that. And I love how you said that you don't have all the answers. And it's amazing because we learn the Holy Spirit ministers and teaches as, you know, as you teach others and you dive into the word and go deep and then you help others and come alongside them, which is amazing because I think a lot of people are intimidated by Bible study, but it doesn't have to be like that, right, Stephanie? No. Well, you know what? I think it's safe to say for both of us that 100% of what we know, we have learned. Mm-hmm. So, so it is with everyone. If you know something, it's because you made the effort to learn it. And so let's keep learning together. Let's keep to know Christ. My favorite verse is Philippians 3.10, when Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. So if Paul, Paul says, I want to know Christ, even if Paul didn't have it all figured out, how could we ever pretend that we do? But that brings us this excited anticipation of hope to know that we can increase in our knowledge of Christ. And actually, since you were mentioning that I'm French, in French, we have two words for you, one English word to know. We have one word for head knowledge and another word for experiential knowledge. Mm -hmm. And Paul here obviously uses experiential knowledge. This isn't about head knowledge. It isn't about being able to spit out Bible facts. This is about intimacy with the one and only intimacy with the God who created you, the God who longs to call you his daughter, to have you call him your father. This is the one who went literally to the ends of the earth and back for you. This is the God that we are called to know. And Doris, it does not get better than to taste ever deeper the sweet spices of knowing God, doesn't it? Mm. That is amazing. And it just envelops like all the senses when you talk about the sweet spices, draw it in through your nostrils and taste it. And you know how the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And your passion is so sweet and precious. It just, it's exciting to hear when someone talks about our first love because he is our first love. And sometimes we forget, right? And we can get stagnant in our faith. You get excited when you see people get it. So what does that look like for you? What does that mean? Well, you know, I think all of us can sometimes experience a measure of staleness in our relationship with God. When we lose a little bit of that first love, we don't lose it, but we lose sight of it a little bit. You see, Science experts would tell you that when you eat something, the first three bites will allow your taste buds to taste all of the different flavors. But by the fourth bite, your taste buds are so overwhelmed that you actually don't really taste what you're tasting anymore. You only are limited to the four basic flavors. You're not going to get all the nuances. Like seriously, try this at home. Take a brownie and have four bites. I can pretty much guarantee you by the fourth bite, you will not be able to actually taste the brownie itself. All you'll taste is sugar. 
And so that has helped me actually know, never have more than three bites of something, especially something <laughs> sweet, which really is really good for the waistline, to be quite honest. But that's not <laughs> our goal here today. <laughs> but just a side note, you know, but this actually applies spiritually is that sometimes we forget those flavors. We, we think that staleness is where it's at. And we forget that there can be such an explosion of fresh flavors if only we would shake things up a little bit. Because if you only eat the same flavor all the time, of course it gets boring. Mm -hmm. Of course it does. And so what we do at Gospel Spice Ministries is that we like to come alongside those who have identified and diagnosed for themselves that there's a little bit of staleness right now and I don't like it. I want the passion back. I want to experience the fullness of intimacy with God, but maybe I'm not quite sure how to do that. Mm. And it takes one to know one. Again, we're not positioning ourselves as having it all figured out. We are fellow sojourners with you on this taste journey. And so what we do is that we invite you to come with us inside the scripture. And we forget when we enter scripture that we actually enter another culture. We forget that scripture was not written for 21st century Westerners like you and me. It was written for a different audience and it was steeped in a different culture. And of course, with 21st century eyes, we can learn a lot. But if we would approach scripture putting aside a little bit of our 21st century Western all-purpose garlic salt, which is good, but then daring to experiment with the cilantro and the cumin and the cardamom of the first century Jewish culture, then all of a sudden, you're going to have a fresh flavor explosion that all-purpose garlic salt simply cannot provide. And so we do this by coming alongside you, by helping you taste the original flavors. One example I love to talk about is on Palm Sunday. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. And as you mentioned, I grew up atheist, but I'm sure maybe many of those who are listening grew up in the church. And so this story of Palm Sunday, like seriously, you've probably seen it on felt, uh, you know, when you were in Sunday school, and then you've probably seen it acted out in your church quite a few times. Maybe you were even in a Palm Sunday slash Easter play. Mm. What else can you possibly know about Palm Sunday? We think we know all there is to know because... Again, yes, we know all there is to know about garlic salt, but what if there was another layer of flavor underneath the Palm Sunday experience that it takes new taste buds to experience? My point here is in the Gospel of Matthew in particular, so on my podcast, we just finished a year-long season in Matthew, and right now we are in other stuff. We're in Luke and in the Psalms and in Ephesians, but in the first year, we studied Matthew, and Matthew has a very compelling story on Palm Sunday, but he doesn't tell us what's happening. You see, Matthew, much to our detriment, is a very good writer. So he's a master of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Any writer is supposed to show you, not tell you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is when you show and you don't tell, you are assuming that your audience has the same cultural cues that you do so that you can speak cues into what you're saying without actually saying it, and they'll pick up on that. But we've lost the cultural context that those clues that are in Matthew's narrative can give us. In other words, starting on Palm Sunday and ending at the Last Supper, Jesus is actually reenacting the exact steps of a first century Jewish betrothal ceremony. Matthew's audience knew it. They could read between the lines, but we don't. 
So when Paul, much later, tells us that we are the bride of Christ and he is the bridegroom, he's actually not making anything up. Yes, he is referring to some passages in Isaiah, but he's also referring to a lot of events, including Palm Sunday to the Last Supper, Passion Week, because Jesus literally took every single step that someone takes when he gets betrothed. The betrothal ceremony ends on, in the upper room on Passover. In the Jewish tradition, when the groom-to-be would come to the bride-to-be's house to ask her hand in marriage, he would come with gifts. And he would come to her house, so her mom and dad would be there. And after they had agreed to the betrothal, they would sign paperwork. But they wouldn't sign paperwork the way you and I do it by going to a lawyer or something like that. What they would do is that the bride-to-be and the bridegroom-to-be would share from the same cup of wine and they would break the same piece of bread. This meant that in the future, they were sharing all of their resources and they were in it with each other. It was a covenant of fellowship. And sure enough, with the Last Supper, this remembrance that we do, we are remembering that Christ is our bridegroom and we are the bride. That is one of the meanings of the Last Supper. And of course, it's his blood and his body, but it's also this marriage ceremony. And so then something extraordinary would happen. The bridegroom would then go back to his own house, he would not take his bride that day because they were betrothed. They weren't married. It was going to take about a year for the bride-to-be to prepare herself. She would beautify herself in every way, just like the church is making herself ready for when the Lord returns. But the bridegroom-to-be would go back to his house, his parents' house, because he would live with his parents. And what he was going to do for that year, he was going to build a house for his bride and for their family, which incidentally is why carpenters, who were also masons, were very high in demand because they were good builders. So the fact that Jesus is a carpenter makes him a very attractive marriage party, which again is fascinating if you consider him as our bridegroom, Yeah, even down to the details of it. And so the, the bridegroom-to-be would go to his house and what he would do is that he would usually build an addition. He wouldn't build a brand new house. He would add a couple of rooms to an existing house. And then when it's ready, he would come back to fetch his bride. But before he leaves his bride-to-be for about a year, these are his parting words. These are covenantal words. And they're going to sound very familiar to you because they are taken straight out of John 14. This is what the bridegroom would say, looking at his bride before he leaves her temporarily. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you so that you may be where I am. And in my father's house, there are many rooms and I will come back. I will not leave you alone when the house is ready. These are exactly Jesus's words. So his disciples totally understood that he was signing a betrothal covenant with us. But we don't know that because we don't have the cultural context anymore. And so you see, when you read that with the cultural spices, now that story all of a sudden has a fresh flavor explosion that wasn't there before because you now see it the way the disciples saw it. And that's what we do at Gospel Spice Ministries. We want you to fall in love with Jesus and we do it by bringing him to you in exactly the same ways that he enthralls us every day. And we're in awe of him and we want you to be in awe of him with us. Yes, that is so fascinating. And I love how those cultural aspects, like you say, it's like a whole nother layer of spice and flavor. And 
it allows people to start seeing things from a different perspective and how everything falls into the big picture plan. And I love how you laid all of that out. That is awesome. And it reminds me too about when we're cooking because so many of us feel inept with all the different spices. Like who knows how to use all of these different things, you know? And all we have to do is study from someone who's already put time in and then they come along. It's like discipleship, right? It's like, you know, let me teach you how to cook (laughs) these spices. Exactly. Oh, that is so true. And everything you have learned, everything I have learned is because someone taught us too. And so Mm -hmm. this mentoring and discipleship, it's, you know, one of my favorite verses about discipleship is 2 Timothy 2.2. When Paul talks to his protege, Timothy, and he says, what you have seen me do in the presence of many witnesses, I now entrust to you so that you will teach others who will teach others. So if you dissect that a little bit, you realize there's four generations involved. There's Paul, who teaches Timothy, who teaches others, who in turn will teach others. And that we fit in that succession line of discipleship. Everything we know is because someone told us. And -hmm. therefore we are tasked with teaching others what we have learned, even if it's just how to use spices. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's also so awesome that this, like you say, God's glory is our delight. And just learning about all of this and hearing how your ministry is something that God is using to open up the story for everyone to see all of these details that people had not realized before or understanding the cultural aspects. And plus thinking about you grew up as an atheist. That to me, like it just speaks volumes as to how our lives can be so changed in just a moment. We just never know what's going to happen, what these divine appointments are. So I know that you actually didn't come to Christ till you were in high school, right? The beauty of coming to faith from atheism, I think, and any story really, Doris, is that it also reminds us that we can't take any of the credits. Like I take zero credit for what the Lord is doing because it's not me. It it just isn't. If it was me, it would be ugly. You could tell. (laughs) If it was me, I can tell you, you would tell right away. It would not be (laughs) what it is because it would be me. And it's not, it's him. And I know you completely understand because your podcast the same way. It has the imprint, the imprint of God's hand on it because it's him working through us not us somehow trying to manufacture anything. And when we come, when I came to faith from atheism, I was 17 years old and I came to the U.S. as a foreign exchange student because I wanted to learn English. And I was a very strong atheist. This wasn't just something that I had absorbed from my own culture. This was something that I had absorbed and accepted and embraced as my own. So it was a conscious decision. But then coming to the States to learn English, I found myself spending my entire senior year of high school with an American hosting family who were very strong followers of Christ. And what they did is that through their love, through their pursuit of me, through God pursuing me through them, truly, they slowly earned the right to tell me about their God. This wasn't something that they started off. They didn't start you know, thumping the Bible at me the moment I got off the plane. I don't think that would have worked. Mm -hmm. What they did is that they loved on me. And the way, you know, Augustine puts it is preach the gospel in every occasion and occasionally use words, right? 
or mm. something to that effect. And that's what they did. They loved me through their words, through their actions. And as a result, they intrigued me because I came from a very dysfunctional family, whereas I could see them, um, of course, you know, struggle with their young children and maybe even as a married couple, but I would also watch them reconcile and forgive and put the other first, which is a very different spice from the one I had grown up tasting. And that's intriguing. And therefore, and also we had intellectual conversations because uh, that mattered to me. I wanted to be able to understand uh, from an intellectual perspective how I thought Christianity didn't hold water. But the more I dug into it, the more I realized it actually holds water, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a comfortable place for an atheist to be. Mm. And very quickly, I came to the realization that the resurrection was a historical fact, that Jesus had truly, literally, historically risen from the dead. As an atheist, you don't want to come to that conclusion. It's not comfortable. It's just not good (laughs) because it puts you in a very awkward spot. Are you going to just ignore and shove to the side what you have discovered to be true historically, but you can't make sense of spiritually? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to dare to take a step of faith? Which again, for an atheist, that's not an easy thing to do. And for me, because by God's grace, nothing of my own doing, God created me, knitted me together with a need for intellectual integrity. God knows I am beset with many sins, but he has knitted me with this need to act on what I know to be true. And that's even worse for an atheist. Like it it was a terrible place to be because here I am knowing that Christ can't just possibly be a man because men just don't raise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not ready to give him my life because I'm a control freak and I very much want to be in charge of my life. Thank you very much. (laughs) So then what happens is that I ended up giving God a chance. I was like, you know what? I know it's true, but I don't know if I can trust you, God. Because you see, the resurrection does not prove that God is trustworthy. The resurrection proves that Christ is God, among other things. But in my atheist eyes, it did not prove God's trustworthiness. It actually does in hindsight because it has been prophesied. So it proves his faithfulness. But it did not, the resurrection did not prove to me at that point that if I entrusted my life to God, he would take good care of me. And that was my fear. Mm. So because my Christian friends and family were telling me that he was trustworthy and because their lives reflected that, it gave me the amazing impulse and temerity to actually trust God for just a moment, for a short period. I gave him one week, which sounds pathetic, but (laughs) that's my story. Um, I told God for one week, I'm going to believe and accept and embrace and fully live in the truth of your trustworthiness. But God, because I'm still in charge, which again, there's a lot of arrogance there. For I'm telling you, I am beset with many sins and arrogance definitely was one of my key ones. Still struggling with that one, but it's not quite as bad, but it's still here. I'm so sorry. How very French of me. <laughs> I told God, if I don't like it after a week, God, I'm taking my life back. Yeah. You, again, the arrogance and, and <laughs> the, but you know what? The, okay. Doris. This speaks volume to me of God's kindness. He will meet us wherever we are. There is no place he will not travel for us. He is so meek and humble that he would accept the invitation of an arrogant 17-year-old French girl who says, 
one week and that's it. He'll take even that. I mean, when we say Christ is humble and meek and kind, Doris, words don't do it justice. He took this and he turned my life around in such a way that about five years later, I was having this conversation with a friend and her question was probably the question that's on your mind, which is what happened at the end of the week? And I looked at her and I went, oh my goodness, the week is up. I I just never thought about it. It never crossed my mind to relinquish control because to give, to take my control back to, because I had experienced such peace, Doris, and I know it sounds cliche, but it is so true. The peace to be able to embrace what I had known in my head to be true, to be able to accept it in my heart, Doris, Mm -hmm. He is the Prince of Peace. And it is not just a cute little cliche word. It is true. That is so endearing too. It's like you were learning of his character and the work and transformation that he was doing within you. But that is so sweet how you said, you know, he does meet us where we are because he loved you so much. And he, he's like, Stephanie, I have plans for you. He just has so much patience with us. And um, it's amazing too, when you were talking about your host family, you know, as we know, like they know we're Christians by our love, but it is another layer. You were talking about this spices, layers of spice. When you see a follower of Jesus or a family of followers of Jesus living, I mean, not being perfect in any way, shape or form, but living the life that is just filled with the love of Christ. And then Mm -hmm. it just overflows. Yeah. It's not just talk. It's the actions. Yeah. Because you see, Doris, if they had pretended to be perfect, honestly, I would have seen through that. Mm -hmm. But what drew me to them and what gave them the right to speak into my life was because they weren't perfect and they were owning up to it. Mm. And in their imperfection, they were so loving and accepting and forgiving of one another and even of me. Mm. Because you see, I don't think anyone has come to faith because they've received the witness from someone who's perfect, except if you've really met Jesus face to face, right? But for us, we've all come to faith because someone told us about him and that someone was not perfect. And if you pretend to have it all together, honestly, you're not fooling anyone. And the people you're trying to reach, they'll see through it. Yeah. And even if they don't see through it, it will not be attractive because they know you're not perfect. You might try to portray that you are, but that's not going to be as attractive as someone who is honest about their flaws. Because, you know, if you don't role model that you need a savior, how can you preach a savior if you don't need him? Only because you know and you are transparent enough about your brokenness are you going to be attractive to other broken people. And if you are human on this planet, you are broken to some extent, in some degree, maybe not, you know, in different levels and in different ways, but we're all broken and only broken people can proclaim a savior. In other words, never pretend to have it better together than you do. When God puts you back together, please praise him and glorify him. Mm. But in the broken places, acknowledge it because that is how he's going to shine. I mean, we are broken vessels, right? He shines through the cracks and all that is so true. And so again, my American mom and dad, they weren't perfect. They never pretended to be, but that actually is what made them attractive. 
because I knew I was not perfect and I did not need a faith that was reserved only for perfect people. Who needs that? Who needs that is right. And you, and you were able to cultivate this intimacy with Jesus because when we open up our lives and give people access to a more intimate level of our own lives versus all those little, you know, like superficial levels or, Hey, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. You know, and then, but when people open up their lives and we give access to people and they see, this is how a follower of Christ lives. This is how they deal with conflict. This is like you were saying, like forgiveness and all of that. So it's so important. And, you know, I think it it takes knowing the real deal in order to spot a fake. Mm. So to continue with the spice analogy, I don't know if you're familiar with saffron. It's one of the richest, most expensive and most incredible spices. Well, there's very cheap fakes out there. Mm. The only way to spot fake saffron, besides the fact that it's going to be super cheap, is that if you've tasted the real saffron, you will spot a fake. Only if you've never tasted the real deal will you be able to think that the fake is the real deal. And so it is first with Christ. When you have a true encounter with him, when you truly surrender, when you truly taste the sweetness of forgiveness and of redemption, when you truly experience this complete renewing that he progressively ushers into your life. Honestly, Doris, you you know as well as anyone that there is no mistaking anything else for that once you've tasted that and you keep going back to that because he is the source of life he is the fountain of living water and there is no other place where you're going to get filled but there so you keep going back there for yourself and then if you are like the woman at the well you're going to start bringing others so that they too can experience this real saffron and then they won't be taken up by the fake saffrons of the world All of a sudden, money and fame and sex and success, who cares? Because Christ is the real deal. But it takes experiencing him. And that's open to anyone. Mm. And all of us, again, we know him because someone has shown him to us. And all of us are equal under the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is our spiritual taste buds. And he's the one who's making it possible for us to taste Christ. Both, as Paul says, to know Christ, like we were starting with, both the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. Sometimes some spices taste best alongside a backdrop of bitterness. Mm. And the fellowship of his sufferings is his, but it's also ours in him because of that bitterness that brings forth the power of the resurrection, which is what everyone wants. We just kind of want to avoid the bitterness, but it's a, it's a package deal. If you want to know Christ, you're going to experience the sweetness and the bitterness of the saffron, but Mm. it's going to be the real deal. And, And, you know, I'm a chocoholic. I love chocolate. And I like to say, the only way for you to understand what chocolate is, maybe listen to me for a minute, describe it to you, but at some point, you're going to have to take a bite because there's absolutely no way once you've tasted chocolate. I mean, I have yet to meet someone who says they've tasted real good quality chocolate and they don't like it. (laughs) Some of the fake, super cheap stuff. Yes, I can get why you wouldn't like it. I get that. But the real good stuff, there's no going back once you've tasted that. And yeah. so it is with Christ. So yes, as you were saying, Doris, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a challenge. God is saying, try, 
see what happens. He's opening himself to you rejecting him and saying, I don't like it. But I have yet to see someone truly experience the goodness of the Lord and say, no, thank you. I don't want that. Love those analogies with the spice because the word talks a lot about spices. So that's amazing. But I love that your ministry is gospel spice. And this has just been so amazing. And I would love for you to share with us how our listener can connect with you and catch your podcast. How can they find you, Stephanie? Well, obviously, if they're listening, they love podcasts and they have very good tastes in their choice of podcasts because Fierce Calling is a great podcast. So with this said, you know, um, you can go wherever you're listening to Fierce Calling. You can go to Gospel Spice and find it and you'll find me. I teach two out of three episodes and then I have guests that bring their own unique flavor and spice once in a while. And then also our full range of ministries the podcast, the Bible studies, and some of the ways we come alongside organizations that fight human trafficking as a way to bring the spice of the gospel to the world. You will find all of that at gospelspice.com. doesn't get much easier than that. And then you can find me on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram, both uh, with Gospel Spice and with my name, Stephanie Roussel. Wonderful. And there is also a PDF, a recipe, a French recipe with all the spices. And you have said that you could teach us how to make that easily. Yes. <laughs> how, do we, actually, how do we get that? Yes. Well, I will uh, give you a link. So there will be a link. It's going to be gospelspice.com slash fierce calling. And there will be a PDF right there just for the fierce calling podcast audience where you have recipe that actually come from my grandmother and my mother. So hundred percent French. And um, there's going to be enough to make a very yummy meal using very different spices. Wow. Well, I cannot wait. I know that whoever is listening today cannot wait as well to do this and look up your website and check out your podcast because this conversation has just been a taste of what you will get on the Gospel Spice podcast, right? So I appreciate you so much, Stephanie. Thank you for being on today. It's been amazing and I hope to have you on again. Thank you, Doris. I can't begin to tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to be with you today. Oh, thank you so much. And God bless you. And I will talk to you soon, friend. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. What a blessing to hear Stephanie's story and how her ministry is helping followers of Christ to go even deeper in their understanding of the gospel. If ever the scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good, has been represented well, It has been through Gospel Spice. I love how God pursued a 17-year-old atheist teen and how her host family was used by God to reach her lost soul so she could be found. God could have reached Stephanie right where she was in France, but he allows significant journeys to have significant kingdom impact in our lives. Because not only did he redeem Stephanie's life, but he allowed his host family, those who were already sold out for him, to join in his kingdom work of redemption. This story in and of itself has so many layers of flavors and the beauty is that we can see how God also pursues us and allows us to partner with him in his kingdom work. He chose that host family for this important mission and now Stephanie's ministry is continuing that mission by reaching a multitude with the truth of the gospel. So if you ever feel that what you're doing for the Lord is not big enough, 
not significant enough, not worthy enough. The truth is that God uses it all, and we never know how literal using our gifts to impact the world for Christ truly is. You can connect with Stephanie at gospelspice.com where you'll find info about Gospel Spice Ministries and the Gospel Spice Podcast. She'd love to hear from you. And you'll find more about Stephanie, the link to her website, and a few of my favorite quotes from the show in the show notes at doraswift.com. I would also love to connect with you, friends, so reach out to me on my contact page at doraswift.com. I also invite you to join my community of women who receive inspirational messages, helpful resources, and updates on podcast and book news every month. When you join my email list for free, I'll send you a free gift, Simple Tips for Sharing Your Faith. It's very simple, a two-page resource, and it helps you share the gospel. And now that you've heard Stephanie's story, you can share even more flavors of the gospel. Thank you again for being a faithful listener of Fierce Calling. I hope you'll join me next time when I invite another woman to share how she's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend. Have a wonderful new year. God has so many things planned for your life. Listen for his voice and walk in your fierce calling. I'll talk to you soon.